Good afternoon. Welcome to the Bitcoin Bottom Line. I'm your host, Stephen McClurg, with my co-host, Ambassador CJ Wilson of Bitcoin. Well, thank you, Chartmaster. I uh, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I just I, it's pretty exciting times right now with everything going on. There's a lot of lot of action in in the Bitcoin space. Um, and I I guess yeah, I guess I, I I'm not attempting to be an ambassador, but I'm just trying to spread some education. So I just got back from Washington D.C. That was pretty exciting. No, that's that's really cool. And and I think what's great is you've spent a lot of time with some really key figures, and uh, you know you're meeting with. Ted Cruz. I want to talk about that in a little bit, but you've you've really become truly an ambassador uh, for Bitcoin to a lot of politicians around the United States, and have been doing a ton of education uh, just out of the love of what you're doing. So why don't we talk? With, why don't we start with Ted Cruz? Because that is really fascinating to me, given that I'm from Texas. Mm-hmm. I've been following Ted Cruz, and uh, and he just all of a sudden came out with this announcement that he's pro Bitcoin. And there's a new announcement that just came out as well. So I'd like to hear how that interaction started and, and what it's led to. Yeah, so uh, I think sometime in June, you know, we ended up having a Zoom call with Ted and our Senator Cruz, I guess, technically as an ambassador, I should be formal about that, right? And um, he, he seemed to really like one key element of what's happening in Texas, and that's that people are moving to Texas because of Bitcoin. I, as a Texas senator, obviously, he's very incentivized to have Texas be a successful state. And I think he saw or sees a little bit of the failure of Silicon Valley in a lot of ways to deliver on their promise of freedom and, you know, kind of developing technology that's going to improve people's lives and sees that as a, I guess, in a lot of ways now a limiting factor. Um, so with a, with a bunch of the, the mining that's happening in Texas, with like the Windstone facility uh, growing, uh, Riot's building a huge facility there. Um, there's another company that's that's really big there as well, but uh, Unchained Capital is there, which I go visit a lot because they have the BitDevs meetup. Um, there's just a lot of like sort of things that are happening in and around Bitcoin between the Texas Blockchain Association and just you know Texas Bitcoiners being really, I think Texans in general, having lived there for about ten years, they really just want to do their own thing, and that's a much like parallel with what Bitcoin really is. So Ted sees that sees an opportunity to kind of take Texas up a level. Um, especially considering that states like New York make it so difficult to be a Bitcoiner with a bit license and some of these things like that. So he's pushing for it, right? Governor Abbott uh, has signed some legislation into place. And um, so when I was in DC, uh, I had a follow up with uh, Senator Cruz's office. And one of the things that they talked about was this program called Accept, which is where they're actually trying to push uh, Bitcoin as a currency to be used during small cash transactions, which is really great because it's around the initial impetus for Bitcoin a long, long time ago was to, you know, use for everyday expenses. So they're actually going to, I think, try to put it on vending machines or something like that, which is, which is pretty bonkers. But I read about that yesterday um, and I had been sort of sworn to secrecy on that, but now that it's out, I can, I guess I can talk about it, but I think it's a great thing. As more people use Bitcoin, uh, as more people are dollar cost averaging into it, it, pr- it just proves to be a better and better asset for everybody that's involved. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this a lot where, you know, I typically try to hodl Bitcoin, but I also like to spend it. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I like to spend it is because I want to actually promote the ecosystem. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's useful if people are actually using it for a transaction. Uh, you know, we're recording this on November 1st. Yesterday was the 13th anniversary of the Satoshi white paper, right? And the title of it is Peer-to-Peer Electronic Cash. It's meant yes. to be spent peer-to-peer. It's meant to be electronic cash. 
it's meant to be borderless. So if we're utilizing it in that way, that's probably the fastest way to get adoption. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a huge element of, I hate to say this, but celebritizing certain things and that draws attention. So another example of that is when you have uh, Senator Cynthia Lummis going out there and talking about this in, in staff meetings or in, you know, on the Senate floor when she's basically grilling Janet Yellen about inflation and, you know, yield curve control and these types of things. And she literally said the other day, thank God for Bitcoin. And it was like, oh, Oh my God, you got to be kidding me. It was great. But yes, so then also along with that, uh, Aaron Rodgers dressed as John Wick says, Hey, I'm going to get take some of my salary in Bitcoin, send me your Cash App Sats tag. I'll, you know, send you some, some Sats or whatever. So I was like, I am not above asking for free Bitcoin. Like, I will absolutely do it. And then I owed somebody money for lunch the other day. So I sent them money in, in Bitcoin, right? It was 20 bucks. So I sent them $20 worth of Bitcoin through Cash App. And these types of things, this is how you promote the ecosystem. I think that's what it is. And once people see that and they see that, that oh, it's just like this other thing or something that they've already used before, it doesn't, it doesn't become as intimidating. Because I think I was actually, the reason why I was a little bit late was I was actually orange pilling uh, a client of mine. Because he's like, yeah, I've got all this cash. I'm waiting for everything to crash, but I don't know what to do. I'm like, have you talked about Bitcoin mining before? And I was like, ah, here you go. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these Senate offices are very interested in it. And yeah. I think the hardest battle that we have in general, people like yourself and myself that are out there just promoting Bitcoin, um, it, it, we don't want it to be a partisan issue where like only, you know, conservatives are into it, right? We, we do see the value of both sides having access to Bitcoin because everybody literally does have access to Bitcoin, even bad guys, which is, I think, one of the big issues that a lot of them have. But having met with uh, reps, uh, Congress reps and Senate, Senate reps from California, Ohio, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, Texas, um, North Carolina. Uh, let's see who else we have on that, on that list. There's been, a, there's been a lot of really good feedback, I think, from people that, that attended the event. But basically what happened was Alex Gladstein from the Human Rights Foundation and I uh, did a, uh, an event for Cynthia Lummis and Cinema, who have the Financial Innovation Caucus. So they, they put us in a room and we were talking to these people. We had like four or five dozen people there um, from various committees and stuff like that. And afterwards, they came up to us and they're like, oh, that was really good. Alex talks about, you know, the, the freedom of Bitcoin in, in oppressed places, right? People that have, a, have dirt floors and, you know, triple digit inflation and how Bitcoin can save those people. And I'm talking about it from a small business angle as someone who doesn't really see the value of holding a bunch of cash in the, the company's reserves. It doesn't really make sense to me anymore when I can hold yeah. Bitcoin. Um, so it was really engaging, honestly. It was, it was a lot of young people asking really good questions. And you know what I didn't realize is that every Senate office has like dozens of people that work for them, right? Um, oh, yeah. They've got like 20 to 80 people per, per office. And I was kind of like, whoa, okay. Once you go there, you, you realize, I mean, go there to DC, you realize how big the machine really is. And, and also how that machine is able to digest these things like the infrastructure bill or the Green New Deal, where they have thousands of pages they've got to really sift through. Um, and it is very interesting, but for the most part, I think what's going to happen is some of these states are really going to take advantage of the fact that the states themselves can, can take the lead and the states themselves can set, you know, tax incentives and things like that. Like with what, what Wyoming is doing right now for mining, people are going to go, they're going to go there to mine because there's tax incentives now to, to, you know, it, it, to decrease the flaring of methane by mining off of that instead. Yeah, well, it's really interesting because I, I met Senator Lomas uh, about four years ago uh, when there was a lot happening in Wyoming. And, and to be fair, Wyoming really was 
square one for mm -hmm. states creating their own legislation, building an ecosystem. And Wyoming really was the first one to do it. And she was at the forefront of that uh, all along. So it, it was, it's really cool to see what's happened since then. Um, and, uh, but she's fantastic. I mean, she's, she's really got fire in her belly and really wants to, you know, really wants to promote this thing. I think, I think it's fantastic, but, but Texas is, is, is interesting, right? Like, like I said, you know, I, I was, I was born and raised there. Uh, you lived there for a period of time. Um, you know, you're, you're actually probably the perfect guy to, to speak to some of the senators and the, and uh, from Texas and the governor for Texas, because, you know, we, we, we made this joke privately a few weeks ago, you know, when I said, uh, anybody will listen to a former ranger, uh, only thing better than a ranger is a cowboy. Right. Yeah. So, 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 so you're the perfect guy. I mean, you know, there you're, you're going to, you're going to get into the room. Texans are going to listen to you. Uh, and you're right when it, when it comes to, uh, oil production mm -hmm. and, and, and the way that, that it actually works, a lot of people don't realize this, but when you, when you're pulling oil out of the ground, when you have oil, you also have natural gas as a byproduct that's sitting there in the ground. It's going to seep out anyway, uh, which is what they're, which is, which is a lot of what's being flared. And, uh, there's just no way there, there's so much of it. There's no way to actually use it. And if that can actually be utilized into mining, then you're accomplishing two things at once. Uh, it's 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 really a great way uh, to utilize uh, something that's just going to waste anyway. Yeah, I mean, after we had uh, Christy Lee on our podcast a couple months ago, I guess, you know, I really started digging in deeper to the natural gas mining stuff because I felt like with the with the overabundance of natural gas, it's it, there's a lot of places, whether it's Pennsylvania, Wyoming. Uh, some places in, um, you know, obviously all, all over in Texas, yeah, Dakotas, there, there comes this like this trade off where, you know, you can't really expect to, to build a power plant, a large power plant in some of these areas, because it just isn't feasible. There's no reason to have a big power plant there because you don't have a lot of people. So in a way, the sort of density, the low density, uh, like production zones are so ripe for for natural gas. To be converted because when you do flare natural gas it doesn't really burn off at a hundred percent ratio right so right. when you're when you're running through a turbine or machines or whatever i know greg foss is obviously i think when we were at um uh bitcoin 21 miami. Yeah, yeah miami yeah we were all talking about that and i got this crazy idea i was like dude i should do this and do that or whatever and it started spinning the wheels in my head a little bit and um i think i think overall there's going to be a long uh, I, I would say runway of increased hash rate that's coming online in, in America in various places. I mean, there's people in Bakersfield right now that is south of me about 100 miles. And they're actually taking because Bakersfield's like a big dairy production area. They're taking the cow poop and they're taking the methane out of the cow poop and they're Bitcoin mining off the cow poop. That's insane. But by, by the way, great. Bakersfield is also a big oil production site yes. as well. A lot of people yeah. don't realize that. Right. In, in California, they've sort of demonized the use of gas uh, or anything. But the reality is that I think there's a lot of FUD around natural gas, but we cook with it in our houses. So it can't be that bad. I mean, granted, it's got to be cleaned and scrubbed and things like that to make sure there's no H2S or some of these other negative things in it. Right. But I think once the once you start to align the incentives between the agricultural industry, the energy industry and Bitcoin together, you see that there's like a sort of, there's a building block there where you can sort of modernize the, the grid or at least the, the financial incentive structure so that you have a lot of people there. And when you have these conversations with 
um, you know, like senators or, or congressmen. I mean, like Warren Davidson gets it. He's he's probably in Congress. He's the easiest person to, to point at and say this guy literally understands it A to Z better than anybody, because it, he says stuff like, oh, well, America was there for, you know, airplanes, the Internet, cell phones. Like It's like, OK, yeah, he, he, he understands that this is what we're trying to do. And I think there's a huge incentive for any senator or congressman to to bring this into their district. And, you know, you see River recently, River Financial, which is a Bitcoin company from the Bay Area, they opened up an office in, I think, Columbus or something like that. So it's like, OK, well, if you have a friendly senator, a friendly governor, a friendly, you know, like Suarez down in Miami, uh, you know, you have a friendly jurisdictional aspect, then you're going to see companies moving to those places because it's like, it, it just makes sense. And just like NASCAR kind of centralizing in North Carolina, you're going to see these small pockets where it's incentivizing you to go to those places. And for me, I mean, as a mining business, I'd want my mining business to be in Wyoming or Texas right now, because I just see that as the, the most stable in terms of the alignment is there. There's so much alignment from all the different you know, government people. And it's, yeah. it's a great, it's a great conversation. It's very exciting. I think, I think by the time we get to the, like the actual uh, midterm election cycle in 2022, uh, definitely by the 2024 presidential cycle, you're going to see these people like have, have to debate this, you know, openly um, and, and come out as pro Bitcoin, because if they don't, it's going to be just as bad as, you know, some of these other social issues that they've, that they've uh, either come out against or for in the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because you talk about Texas and Wyoming. Both are very much, you know, everybody's independent, do what you want, freedom. Uh, both of them are very interested in developing the Bitcoin mining ecosystem uh, and bringing companies in. And both have politicians from those two states that are very eager uh, to embrace it. And, and, and you're right. Those are probably the two most uh they're probably the states with with the biggest ability to actually do mining in from the excess energy that's that's created, uh, and then you have other states like Ohio. And by the way, you talk about Warren Davidson. Um, not only is he probably one of the smartest uh, politicians out there, I would put him head to head with almost any intellectual in the tradfi or 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 Bitcoin or blockchain space, mm -hmm. and. He, 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 know, he, he really knows what he's talking about. He's well-studied, yeah. very intelligent. And anytime I have a conversation with him, I'm, I'm completely blown away with his knowledge of regulation. And which is, by the way, he's the perfect person to be on the, on the, on the finance committee mm -hmm. uh, regulating the regulators, right? Because uh, he, he actually takes the time to understand the regulations and the laws, probably more, more so than more securities attorneys. Uh, and so, you know, being from Ohio, I'd be really curious to see if a lot more businesses go into Ohio. Right. I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about with some of the other states that we were meeting with, uh, especially Colorado, I think they're, they're incentivized to sort of use that connection, that physical connection, you know, that conduit of if, if you imagine Wyoming and Texas sort of being on this axis of awesome or axis, access, uh, Axis of ASICs, okay. Right, that I like the awesome can, though. Yeah, Axis of Awesome is cool too. Um, then, you know, you could see Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, Oklahoma has a lot of natural gas too. You could see that regionalizing, that Bitcoin friendliness in that in that area and, and really trying to, from an energy production standpoint, 
trying to maximize that because you have a lot of these if we look at like if if america was the world right then you have your superpowers within america you have california you have you know florida texas you have uh you know i would say new york maybe massachusetts um and maybe illinois uh, sort of these these sort of keystone states in a lot of policy decisions just from for whatever reason right so as you see these other states go get a little jealous they're like man wyoming's getting a lot of play right now like man texas is really like we need to get there you can't necessarily annex another state right you can't just go out there and like go to war with another state and say like the way that has been happening in europe for the last you know whatever 250 years so what you have to do is you have to find a way like you're saying to court businesses to your state and you do that through tax incentives or you do that through business incentives or you do that through you know energy costs at this point and if i think if states take advantage of the energy production or they invest in that energy infrastructure you're going to have people that want to you know buy your electricity it's just there's too much of that there and with all these virtual businesses or virtual workplaces you could kind of headquarter a business almost anywhere these days uh, if the, if, if there's a, a reason to do that. So, you know, Wyoming has the speedy bank charter options and stuff like that. But if you see other states sort of adopt that or adapt to that, then yeah, you're going to see those states go. And then everybody that comes in behind them is just going to push them up. You know, it's going to be the rising tide, but the rising tide is going to lift those other boats faster because they were there first. And that's sort of the benefit of Bitcoin. And I think if, if some states that have, let's say excess energy or something like that, why don't they just mine Bitcoin themselves, right? And put it in the state sovereign fund so that the state can have their own kind of capital to do their own thing. And I think I think Wyoming's probably, Wyoming or Alaska could could potentially do that, right? Like actually do that. Um, yeah, but yeah. I mean, some, some of the richer states, I mean, Alaska is is very resource heavy and mm. they even write checks to people uh, just, just for living there uh, from, their, from, from their excess of natural resources. Uh, Tennessee, where I live, uh, is actually has has a massive budget surplus right now and can bring a lot of companies in at the moment. The problem is there's not enough housing to house everybody because everybody's moving here. But but Tennessee is one of the small states. It's sort of like Ohio. You know they're both they're both pretty small. But um, and and I've spent time with uh, several of uh, the politicians that are here in in Tennessee and they're very pro business. They're very pro Bitcoin. Um, I was at a luncheon with Bill Haggerty, the governor, and, uh, you know, he is very positive on, on fintech and on Bitcoin. Uh, I, I spoke with Marsha Blackburn, uh, the, the, the senator from Tennessee, uh, about two weeks ago, uh, and she is, she is very hardcore pressing uh, Bitcoin and has actually made some pretty big announcements in the last couple of weeks as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one of the reasons why we set up business here was because of Tim Haggerty. Uh, who uh, was, you know, former ambassador, now senator uh, from from Tennessee, who has been very publicly saying that, you know, we've got to get behind Bitcoin, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and that was about a year ago. So, so no, these these these, these people are really pushing hard, and uh, and it seems like you've got, like you said, there's that the axis of awesome, uh, mm -hmm. or the you know what that, that does all the mining, which is going to be you know really Wyoming and Texas, and then you have Florida. Tennessee, mm -hmm. and then I think Ohio too, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, given given Warren Davidson's uh, you know knowledge and pool and stance uh, on the subject, uh, I I think those are really the three next states, and and of course we're seeing a lot of people moving uh, their their headquarters into Miami, both traditional finance but also blockchain. Yeah, I think you know as as we start to see, I guess the best way to put it is how you said you want to pay people 
small amounts of Bitcoin to sort of redistribute, right? So that's that's our version of like, you, you, you know that you need to pay something. So if you get it to one other person that's never been a Bitcoiner, then you're growing the network and you're growing the strength of that network every time we do that, right? So as these other states come up, suddenly they're at the same table and they're now leading and because with the Senate, the Senate is much different than the House, right? The Senate is two people per state, regardless of the size of the state. So when you have Feinstein, you know, or Padilla from California, they don't really have any any more power than Cruz or Cornyn or Lummis or Blackburn or any of these other senators, right? And so that's really where you just need to get a critical mass of senators that are sort of on that thing. And I think if you put Bitcoin in the middle of the table, you know, then you can kind of fold both sides together and say, hey, let's let's all get behind this because this is something that can lead us, you know, as a, as a country now. And because, you know, the states are going to take advantage of the fact that they can they can be a pro Bitcoin state that's going to bring people in. And so then once there's a region of a states that get together, because, you know, these guys are all buddies, they're all friends or they're all enemies one, one way or the other. They all work together. They see each other all the time. It's like when I was playing baseball and I, I knew the guys from Oakland, I knew the guys from San Diego, I knew the guys from Houston. Like I knew those guys because I played against them or whatever, whether it was the minor leagues or the majors or they were ex-teammates. So you have to get like this. You have to back away a little bit and say, all right, what's best for my state, you know, and the senators and the governors are going to drive that. And then what's best for the country. And then, you know, that's where it's going to be a little bit more difficult for, to get more people on board, because I think you have this, this FUD that's been put out there for 10 years, but we're seeing that FUD gradually get peeled away. So recently, I would say, let's say maybe a year ago, when you were talking to people about this, even high level people like high level government officials or corporate officials, you know, you're trying to like orange pill somebody that's a CEO or something like that. They would say something like, oh, well, you know, I read this thing that it's going to use all the energy in the world. And it's like, all right, well, that's a lie. Or I, I read that China owns everything and China bans Bitcoin. So it's like, you know, we've, we've seen, we, if the FUD stays there long enough, it just falls off the, the page. It can't stay relevant for long enough. And as you see these, as these different financial caucuses or Senate banking committee or whatever, as they start to kind of grasp this, they start to talk with each other. And then you'll see 10 of them that are on this committee together and they'll adopt it. You know, nine out of the 10 states that are on that committee will adopt it. And I think that's what's going to drive it forward and, and make Bitcoin really an American thing and make America the best place to be a Bitcoiner, which is like kind of the mission of us going out there I know for you as well, getting involved with people, you you don't necessarily want to just export your life and go to Barbados or something like that. Like you enjoy right. the, the brick and mortarness of America as I do. Um, so we might as well try to do everything we can. And then reality is, and this is the, the sort of unspoken truth amongst Bitcoiners that really take a step back with perspective. By 2024, five, six, seven, eight, whatever, Bitcoin is going to be potentially a million dollars a coin or something like that. And it's not going to matter at that point, right? Because the people that have Bitcoin, significant amounts of Bitcoin will be elevated, you know, beyond where they're at now by, by a big margin. Um, and hopefully that's as many people as possible because we're trying to get the message out there that Bitcoin's a good thing. Um, but, you know, that's really, I think we have about six or seven years critically of, of these election cycles and things like that to, to make sure that you don't have an uneducated senator or uneducated, uneducated committee making completely ridiculous rules that literally like hamper American prosperity. I think that's the big, that's the big problem. Yeah. Well, let's, let's spend a little bit of time and I want to, I want to hear about your trip to DC where uh, you, you sat in front of the, the, the Senate finance committee, right? Well, yeah. So we, we did, there was a, uh, 
we had representatives from the house and the senate I'm trying to think of the right like all the committees and stuff like that there was the financial innovation caucus is, is the one that we were there with but then there was also people from the house banking committee the senate finance committee senate banking committee we had a bunch of different people i got like a whole roster of people that were there um and and really uh chris land who is from wyoming he's one of lumis's staff uh he's been i think one of the leaders uh, in terms of producing legislature uh for for the um the speedy bank charter and things like that so he was asking us some questions some kind of softball questions that we were able to sort of run with and then we had questions from the crowd and i think one of the the big ones was how do we prevent bad actors you know from from using this and i and the the response from alex and i was similar which was hey listen cash is always going to be the most untraceable bad actor use case right so that's that's the reality and if you know 0.05% of Bitcoin transactions are used by bad guys or whatever, then that's still going to be lower than cash, which could be as high as 20%. So, you know, I think, I think in that regard, the, the message that we wanted to deliver on a bipartisan basis was number one, and this is what I always say, that the, the, the financial ladder, right, it, it's, it's very slippery at the bottom and you're trying to climb out of poverty. That bottom rung is so slippery because we're, we're, we're put into these buckets uh, such as banking, traditional banking, where if you don't have $10,000 or $20,000 in an account, they're charging you a monthly maintenance fee. And that monthly maintenance fee adds up so much that it really becomes hard to, you know, to save. And if you're not able to save and your money is getting to, you know, devalued at the same time, then you really are pretty hopeless to climb out of poverty. And so we try to deliver that message uh, as, as, for, as an American message. And then also small businesses would be so much better off using light, lightning network channels uh, than using Visa at the end of the day. The, the sort of proliferation of these vampire companies that are draining us as small business owners on a gross basis from payroll, uh, payment rails, um, you know, service providers and stuff like that. You, you're paying all those people as the cost of doing business before you're ever able to like really turn a profit. Um, they take money before you even are able to pay your employees. They, they take money right as soon as someone swipes. So, you know, communicating that and then, and then I guess going through the follow-up process is a little bit new for me, but basically trying to get as many people as possible. Thank God that everybody, uh, their, their email address is pretty easy to discern. You can sort of like first name dot last name at whatever. Um, so we're able to reach back to a lot of these people and say, Hey, we've got one of our other teammates is going to be there this week. If you want to follow up questions, here's a PDF with some resources. Here's a video from Swan called This Machine Greens. Here's a link to Michael Saylor talking to Ross Stevens. You know, here's the book from Jimmy Song. You know, like, and so we gave them like an entire list of, of things to follow up with on their own because it is kind of essential that people do their own research in a lot of ways because if you just try to cram all the, like, I mean, you've been in Bitcoin probably, if not as long as me, longer than me. There's, if you take all the knowledge that you've accumulated from traditional finance and Bitcoin, you try to like, implant that into somebody in 90 minutes it's just not going to be enough time you know it's too dense and so they need more time to really go through it and so i think that it's, it's going to be a long process i think going out there multiple times talking to people following up you know getting direct messages on twitter from people and, and just kind of keep 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 the ball rolling but as you have the davidsons and the the Lummises and the cruises and you know these people coming forward and and, and going out with it uh you know, it's going to be pretty positive, I think, for, for the growth of the space. Well, and like you said, it's, it's all about jobs too, right? It's, mm -hmm. you know, if you can attract jobs to your district or jobs to your state, then you're going to get reelected. Yeah. That's, that's the easiest way to get reelected is your state is doing well. Yeah. So 
what do you have to do to attract those jobs? I mean, that's really that's really the message, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Valkyrie. I mean, we 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 opened up in 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 Nashville. We're hiring people in Nashville. We're bringing people in with good paying jobs, and you know that's that's benefit enough right there. You know, same thing right. with Austin, Texas. Same thing with Miami. I mean, yeah. these are these are places where 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 people are coming and they're getting work. Uh, Cheyenne, you know all of these places are attracting people and attracting jobs. And it's, it's really the, the best path to re-election. Yeah, it really is. And I think that that hits home really hard with all of these people, you know? And I think the, the challenges in states like California, when I'm talking to people from California, whether it's, you know, Congress, my Congress district is Devin Nunez uh, or it's Feinstein's office or something like that, explaining that driving the cost of electricity down is gonna, is gonna drive productivity up even Further, right? Because one of the biggest hampers that we have here, the biggest blocks that we have to sustainability in a lot of ways is the price of electricity. And part of the problem with that is the, they're, you know, they keep coming off, they keep taking certain types of energy offline. They keep, they take water, uh, you know, and they dump it into the ocean. So, the, so when you're, you're talking about power as a resource, you know, power produces jobs the same way that water produces uh, food. Right. So if you're a farming community and you have excess water, you're going to grow more food, which is bountiful. Right. So you have bountiful amounts of food. You're able to sell that to more people. You're hiring more people to work there. You're ensuring that those people's kids can get to go to school because there's stability. And when you have instability from these different regimes or different, let's say, more whimsical things are blowing in on the wind. Oh, we're going to do these this type of thing. We're going to do that type of thing. And the budgets kind of seesaw all over the place. It, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't invite people to want to start businesses in the state that didn't that weren't already there you have people like me that are sort of entrenched as a californian now at this point i can't really pick up a car dealership and like roll it to nevada you know but if i had a tech company uh there'd be very little incentive to keep me here given the current state of business doesn't mean that the current state of business is is you know could get better because it can and if it got better then it would reattract people to california but i think at some point you know there's going to be a more i would say homogenous uh, distribution of people in terms of a density standpoint, because you're going to see these other less dense areas start to get more dense as as they sort of normalize the services that are possible in in an area that's maybe a little bit more rural or something like that. Because if you can have, I think, the high quality of life, then why would you want to have a high cost of living? Like you'd always want to chase the lowest cost of doing business and the lowest cost of living, as opposed to the you know if if the metric evens out with highest cost, highest uh, quality of life, you know, and I think that's something that, you know, some states are really starting to figure that out. And hey, your money goes a lot farther in Ohio, your money goes a lot farther in Nashville. So why stay in, you know, Chicago? I mean, like using Chicago as like a third party, like why would anybody live there or do business there if they didn't have to, you know what I mean? When you could go to Nashville and do business for cheaper, live for cheaper, have better weather, way better regulations, way better hustle, you know, way better business environment and way better safety, I guess, in a lot of ways. So th this is what I see sort of happening and it's gonna be a, a multi-year cycle because you know, pe some people are gonna unwind their businesses or wind them down and then they're gonna start them up somewhere else. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you just wanna chase that anyways. You always wanna be going after something. It's just part of your personality. But I think the, the digital asset space is like one of the few places that you know has so much room to run, you know, so much room to grow across the board, like you guys are growing, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the problems that 
I've identified, and I think a lot of other people have identified as well, is all these states that we're talking about that people are moving to for innovation are Republican controlled states. Um, and it seems to be a bit of a lack of effort on in, in the Democratic Party. Uh, there seems to be a lot of people that are running for office in primaries uh, against older Democrats that are that are a little bit more pro innovation, pro Bitcoin, uh, pro fintech. Uh, but uh, it seems like the old guard is really staunchly against it. You know, minus a few people, right? I mean, you've got you know the, so the more famous people like Tulsi Gabbard. Andrew Yang, who isn't officially uh, an elected official, but he's he's a politician. He's 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 well known and, and carries a lot of a lot of weight, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of those two, I I really haven't come across other Democrats that are really interested in sitting down and learning and trying to figure out how you know they can make their states better by embracing innovation. Uh, have you experienced anything different there? I mean, I, I would say that so far it's been mostly conservative people that have that have come into the meeting with knowledge of of what it already what it is and what it does meaning meaning what bitcoin can do for their state or their you know their their region um i think i think the challenge is that in general like if we're gonna you know stereotype you would say that you know ubi and fiscal conservation are sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? And if you're going to put, you know, Democrats on one side, they're definitely going to be more towards UBI. And I don't mean like an actual paycheck, you know, on a monthly basis, like you get in Alaska, or what maybe Andrew Yang has proposed. I just mean on a general sense of, of they're, they're leaning more towards money printing as a result of, you know, wanting to help more people and wanting to do more social programs. Whereas, you know, Republicans, typically GOP candidates or, or entrenched politicians are generally more about, hey, let's not screw this up. Let's not blow money. Let's make sure, you know, that we're very conservative financially about this stuff and that we, 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 we're willing to deal with pain, you know, whereas Democrats sometimes aren't as willing to deal with pain. And so when you have those two opposing sides to an issue, I think Bitcoiners are definitely more willing to deal with the pain and the, the austerity required to you know, increase your wealth. They're willing to do the work. They're willing to sort of sustain a little bit less uh, opulence or whatever you want to call it while they're converting their life over to more of a Bitcoin standard. And I think that the challenge is relating to the uh, Democratic and progressive candidates that, hey, like this might actually help you, you know, and Erica Rhodes obviously is running uh, for District 30 in California against Brad Sherman, who's really anti-Bitcoin and Erica's pro-Bitcoin. So we obviously hope that Erica has a, a chance to, to move forward and, and get her voice heard. I think she's looking at it in a sense that like, yeah, financial like literacy is not taught at all in schools. It's, it's something that is very lacking and, and it creates a lot of holes in the economy going down the road because people take all these, make all these bad decisions and then they hamstring themselves with bad credit or bankruptcies or defaults or whatever. And Bitcoin is sort of an anti-default, you know, technology because it's like, it's such a good form of capital that if you have to, you can sell it, you know, generally for more than you bought it for, if you can just hold onto it for long enough. And that could bail you out of a fiscal problem, you know, whereas like if you're continually depending on, on people giving you stuff in order for you to survive, if you're not upskilling yourself, you know, then, then you might not be as valuable as the person next to you. And I, in terms of a wage. And I think that's the one thing that you see this, this, there's this gap that I don't know if we can actually, if we can close that gap in, in the next, you know, year or two. Um, but I think definitely in the next three years, we could probably close that gap of awareness just to say, hey, listen, 
like as more people demand to get paid in Bitcoin, um, then you know you're going to even out that social disparity, that the economic disparity, because as these people who never really had power uh, or, or were always sort of trapped uh, in a social program, now they don't need that social program anymore, so they can focus their their attention on personal growth or parenting or whatever it is that they want to do, and that's a higher quality of life than like standing in line, you know, effectively, which is the what I equate. Um, being super dependent on social programs. And it's, it's, it's something that you don't want for anybody. You don't want anybody to be having to wait in line for a third of their life or a tenth of their life or whatever it is in order to get basic needs. Um, but at the end of the day, like the, it's, it's very hard to measure and explain to people that there has to be an accountability during the education process. And I think people like Erica take a, a really good look at this because they say, hey, if we teach people young enough, you know, that they need to be fiscally responsible and how to work this. And we show them how not to fall for certain types of advertising, basically the way I look at it, then they'll be able to start their twenties and thirties, you know, under much different uh, circumstances and much more beneficial circumstances. Yeah, that's great. Well, CJ, I look forward to uh, the next time we get together um, and, you know, good luck out there. Thank you for all your work. Uh, this is Bitcoin Bottom Line signing off.